Hello, my friends. Welcome to another episode of Hybrid Unlimited. Today, Cap, Steffi, Marcus, and myself are sitting down with the one and only Dean Bo, who is also my dad. We are lucky enough to have him in-house today um, to talk a little bit about wealth management. I've been lucky enough to have this advice my whole life, so I thought it'd be a great opportunity to share with some of the listeners in another very important aspect of life, one outside the arena of fitness. So sit back, relax, and enjoy, and expand your your learning. Basically, we're going to, Dean is going to teach you if you have bags, what to do with those bags. And if you ain't got no bags, how can you accumulate some green so you can hopefully get bags in the future? Oh my God. Thank you very much to our sponsors. Sponsor, because we only have one actually. <laughs> Ghost Strong Equipment, the best and strongest equipment that has ever been made. It's made 100% in the U.S. of America by the nicest people on earth. For real. This stuff is the real deal. They can make whatever you want. Custom made, racks, colors, you put your logos, whatever you want, Go Strong can make. So today with us we have Dean Bo. Dean is Hayden's dad. Hence why they share the same last name. (laughs) (laughs) You know, just good looks. Smarts too. Yeah. Pleasure to have you here today. We're very excited. Um, For those of you who don't know you, which might be 100% of the people who are listening to this podcast, why don't you tell us a little bit more about yourself and what you do? Thanks, Stephanie. Uh, Thrilled to be here and an opportunity to talk to your your, uh, listeners. Uh, I'm a portfolio manager, so I manage discretionary money, uh, wealth management for high net worth, uh, entrepreneurs, professionals, and their families and help them make intelligent money decisions. How long have you been doing that for? I've been doing that, uh, I guess, been in the industry about 30 years. Uh, in my role, uh, 26. Uh, so chosen chosen profession. It's uh, passion and uh, um, my formal education is in economics, which I think is a good uh, background in this industry, understanding the inner workings at a macro as well as micro level. Mm-hmm. The reason why I, because I thought about bringing him on on the podcast is because I think some of the information that you might be able to share for our demographic and our listeners will be invaluable because we truly don't get that much guidance from professionals in your field that have legitimate, uh, a legitimate education, legitimate advice to give us. So I think this would be, this is going to be so valuable for our listeners in terms of understanding investment, understanding how to manage our money, understanding um, how to position our money uh, in a way that will be of val- more value in the future. Mm-hmm. So I think this would be really, really good. I, I also think it's such an interesting time right now for people our age, because it's the best time to be alive and to make money as an entrepreneur with the social media and everything that's going on in that space. But with all that positive comes the obvious negative of people taking advantage of people who are making money and don't necessarily uh, know what to do with it. So, I mean, I'm sure anyone listening has seen this uh, on social media. Now there's all those like bots and people commenting. Um, 
I just invested X amount of dollars with so-and-so and made 50 grand. And there's like all these, these <laughs> basically day trading advertisement um, sort of spam all over the internet. Yeah. And uh, I thought that that maybe you could provide sort of some caution as to why that might not be the best idea, or maybe it is a good idea. And uh, you know, I don't know what I'm talking about, but I think that's sort of, a part of the market that's grown a ton and it, they're kind of just passing it off as like an easy, quick way to make money. And something tells me it might not be that, uh, simple. Well, spoiler, there is no easy, quick way. Um, there is <laughs> a it. simple, ah. there, there is a simple, and I think that it's the same in your, in your industry, in the fitness, there's all the, you know, Hey, uh, get fit, strong, big, and, don't have to put in the work or the effort. Sure. The 10 minute workouts get sculpted abs. Yeah. It's the same. It's, it's patience. There's, there are, there is a simple approach and the challenge is, you know, as you mentioned with the social media right now, it's like trying to drink from a fire hose. There's just, you got to separate the signal from the noise. And I think that's the key is being able to identify What's the 20, the Pareto principle, what's the 20% that carries 80% of the freight? What's the 20% you need to know? And so it starts, I think, with uh, good decision-making, making better decisions. <clears throat> so my superheroes in my industry are uh, Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger. Um, these guys, uh, you can Google that. There's Tons of books out on these guys. The founders of Berkshire Hathaway. And right? the, yeah. they're the opposite of the type of investment we just, right. or type Absolutely. of investor we just talked about, right? Long-term and value investing. The principles yeah. that they, they epitomize are, and they run simple heuristics or mental mm. models. Mm. And you can identify like four, four key things. The first one is identifying companies that um, are first-class businesses. You know, the second principle is... Uh, that have enduring competitive advantages that are run by first-class managers. And then the kicker, which is difficult these days, is is being able to buy them at bargain prices. And there's a lot built into these. There's a lot of behavioral cognitive biases that are are built into that to protect you. And it has an actually, it has an actual uh, incredible track record of preventing protecting you from losses you know that that uh, competitive advantage is a moat you know and it's if it's a railroad it's a you know huge capital investment legislative you know you and i aren't going to go start a railroad tomorrow um you know a lot of industries that may be in the structure it's an oligopoly or a monopoly uh, or there's patents and brands and and again it's identifying ones are sustainable but I also think that there's a lot of confusion out there in the definition of what, and I'll clarify what I do. You know, if we put it on a spectrum, there's betting, gambling, speculating, trading, and investing. I focus solely on investing. So if if someone's looking for a get rich quick or a uh, penny stock uh, type thing, not your guy. Um, and I, and not I'm not denigrating those activities, but those, and the interesting thing is those activities are differentiated not by what you say you're doing, but in the, your attitude. So a gambler is not doing it. They're doing it for the dopamine hit for the, the entertainment. And unfortunately, a lot of the information we receive today, whether it's through social media 
or through the press, what it actually does is encourages behavior that is not conducive to investing. It's, it is, um, you know, it's entertainment. And then that's a big distinction is you don't do investing for entertainment. It's a, it's a patient, disciplined, it's understanding what the big drivers are. A lot of those big drivers are the binding of time. That's what I'm going to, I want to circle back mm-hmm. to that because that's like a really key concept, I believe. Um, and understanding and, and a, a little distinction on definitions of assets, not the traditional. So I think there's a lot of, a lot of noise, a lot of information out there, but it's sifting it down to what's usable, what's important and focusing on that. And I think that part of that knowledge is self-knowledge is understanding anybody listening to this podcast. That's a human is going to, we all share the that's same. That's most of our audience. <laughs> Perfect. Is, is <laughs> <laughs> we're all going to have the same buy it. We're all wired the same way mm-hmm. and we are not naturally wired to be good investors mm-hmm. is all of our, we, we all share, you know, to different degrees, different combinations and nuances, but there's about 150, you can look it up on Wikipedia, about 156, I think it is, cognitive biases or behavioral biases. Can you define that? Um, well, they're, racism's a bias. Um, it's a quick... Heuristics? Uh, it's they, heuristic. They define it as a heuristic. Yeah. So it's a, um, it's a yeah. little systems that we do to take the cognitive load off, making mm-hmm. all these decisions during the day. So they're shortcuts. Mm-hmm. But the problem is with these shortcuts, they're useful. And they do s- save a ton of energy, but they there are costs that they, and it's important to know what those blind spots are so that you can develop processes and checklists that will help to avoid the downside of those. <laughs> Can I, can I ask, well, you touched on something I thought was really interesting a minute ago. Why do you think that most people, most humans are not wired to be good investors? And then how do you see that as being applicable in 2020 for young people and older people? So I think, so recognizing our circle of competence was we, first of all, have to recognize that taking our ego out of it is we're not all, we're not born natural investors. We were, a lot of our systems were built to survive you know, saber tooth tiger. Biologically. And, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. not to navigate. Thinking uh, about present instead of yeah. future. Yeah, right. Not long-term planning, right. you know, and you know, two ways you can get in trouble, short-term and long-term. And the problem is right now our, our entire society, all the media that we get is all short-term. It's, yeah. yeah. It's, it's first of all, break all the rules. And we, I want to get to that as inversion as a tool is, is, you know, spend, spend mm-hmm. more than you make. You know, and the, the usual version there is how not to be a millionaire um, <laughs> to our society's predicated on dissatisfaction with what we have. Mm-hmm. So um, don't be happy with what you've got. Get the latest, greatest, newest thing. You got to yeah. always be getting mm-hmm. more and more this and more. This iPhone has three cameras. Yeah. yeah so you spend $1,200 <laughs> on it. Like, uh, you probably don't need that. It's yeah. probably not yeah. a great use I of did your it, money. Though, I did it. <laughs> But you know you don't need it. Yeah, I think this is really important because, as we mentioned right before we started recording, that this expands beyond just investing. This is how humans make decisions. And you're describing behavioral psychology and then behavioral economics as kind of revolutionary ideas that it's clear to us that we don't make rational decisions a lot of the time. 
and what is driving those irrational decisions are cognitive biases typically, right? Yeah. Uh, so it's so helpful to observe people making irrational decisions yeah. and then observe the inefficiencies in the market that produces. Absolutely. Right? And that's the opportunity for value creation I think you're describing. Yeah, and I right? think I think part of that is sort of put it in a simple simple hmm. term is, you know, it's it's smart to learn from your own mistakes, hmm. wise to learn from others. Yeah. And if we take a look at these, you know, through history or, or other people, whether it's looking at a Warren Buffett or a, a Charlie Munger. And I mean, learning through experience is that's an expensive education, mm -hmm. both in time and money. So if you can bypass that cost and, you know, build in these, you know, checklists or these uh, uh, heuristics to be able to avoid that costly learning firsthand, I think, that's where there's a lot of value. I mean, the greatest wealth you have in your twenties is time, but it's something that people, you know, constantly don't take advantage of. Mm -hmm. And and that gets into compounding. People know, have a chauffeur knowledge of, if I say, you know, are you familiar with uh, compound interest? Mm -hmm. Everyone sure. goes, yeah, sure. No, yeah, yeah. But I, I would say 90 some odd percent people don't really appreciate the power. And I think if you don't understand it, it's probably working against you. Mm -hmm. You really, really want to have it working for you. You could take a lot of burden off. I think now it's so accessible to be a millionaire. It's really, it's almost a, a no brainer. If you let time and compounding work for you and you understand what the basis of investing is. And I think this is the, a key point that I'm going to, I'm going to probably go down a bunch of different rabbit holes and feel free to bring me back yeah. to yeah. finish. Bring me back to that. Cause I actually have a question about what you just said a minute ago. I can't remember what it, well, so well, what, so on, on what you were actually just saying, I think it's really cool. You showed me this earlier. You had it the down sheet? on a little cue card yeah. mm -hmm. and it, it was all the different rates. Yeah. And then the amounts you'd have to put in and years in a chart to get to a million dollars. We'll post that on the show notes. Yeah, we should, yeah. We'll, yeah so that'll yeah, put in the show notes. It, it's really cool because when you think how, you know, if someone's out there and they're thinking, I want to make a million dollars, I want to have a million dollars in the bank account, that's such an overwhelming idea. Right. Mm. But when you can break it down, and I think the, the smallest figure that you had on there was like, you could put in... Uh, like eight thousand dollars, and and what's the market rate of return? Uh, yeah, ten percent over what time? Yeah, and I think that was fifty it's, years. Yeah. So I sat down. I'd encourage everyone to do this. Yeah. And um, people get discouraged I, when the market is down twenty percent because of recession, right? They're discouraged about the volatility of the market, but you don't see over fifty years the average return absolutely. is actually. And I, I, something that you've always positive. said that I think is 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 great is it doesn't matter to you if those aren't your prices or those aren't your returns. You know, if, if, yeah. if there's a recession and things are off 20% and you're mm. not looking to sell, who mm. cares? Yeah. yeah. You know, your time horizon might be 50 years. Mm. And in that case, it has yeah. almost no impact on I you. I would like you to get into the difference between what we're talking about and what you're getting into and speculative investing is like a lot of people who are age are like Bitcoin is the thing. Or like cannabis, if, is, the so cannabis is the thing. So, like if I just bought it. So you know, as Hayden, we're having lunch and like, I get calls from across mm -hmm the States and Canada, it's CBD oil or it's mm -hmm. cannabis, I'm not denigrating the product or the validity. And mm -hmm. so here, and this is where it gets back to that. It, it, this is all going to tie together mm -hmm. is the, that table present value, mm -hmm. the, uh, the essence of investing, um, 
you know, when I get those questions, if you understand the essence of investing is you're doing a present value calculation of future money. So if mm -hmm. you give, if you have a hundred dollars and you say, I'm going to invest that hundred dollars, but I'm going to expect to get 110 at the end of the year, that's a 10% return. Mm -hmm. It depends on my internal rate of return, whether that's a, right, right. a valuable investment for me. But if you, right. if you invest a hundred dollars and you're going to get $90 back at the mm -hmm. end, it's a negative rate of return, mm -hmm. which we're seeing around the world. If, and, and this, I see this all the time. So say with cannabis, when you actually don't have, if you don't have actually, you can't solve a math problem with all variables. Mm -hmm. You have to have some knowns. So mm -hmm. let's say you've got these companies, but they don't have any earnings. How are you going to value it? If you're going to do a present value calculation, the feeling the, of, it's called hope. And yeah. It's not a strategy. The confidence so, in, the, in the founder. So you go on hope. Well, that's one of the metrics that Warren Buffett and, mm -hmm. and Charlie Munger would use. Again, that first being, you know, is it a first class business? Is it managed by first class managers? Mm -hmm. Does it have a, um, a sustainable and that's the question I'd ask with the cannabis. What's the sustainable comparative advantage of all any of these individual mm -hmm. companies? <clears throat> There'll be a consolidation. There'll be some survivors, but, um, and are you getting it at a bargain price? And this is where it ties into that table is, mm -hmm. so what, so if you've got no earnings and you're going to invest at hundred dollars, what's your expectation mm -hmm. a year out, three years, 10 years, 20 years. Didn't you say there was some, some cannabis, single cannabis companies were well, worth some more of were than like the entire, entire automotive industry based well, on their valuations. Right, and that's not a new phenomenon. Like it's why, not. why don't people make those <laughs> sound decisions? Remember it's, I think it was the Dutch East trading company sure. that would have been tulip the, bulbs. Yeah. You know, tulip bulbs, you know, in the, you know, in, you know it happened in, in Canada. It was uh, Nortel in the nineties, telecom yeah. bubble. It's um, John Maynard Keynes castles in the sky. Yeah. Right? It's a, it's yeah. a, so, but so the, I think we're talking about this and it's bringing up a very vivid recent example of like we work, right? So they were, the, sure. they were kind of That's the exact the unicorn of uh, yeah. bad confluence of events that kind of led to their collapse recently. So what's your opinion on what happened? Maybe not specifically what happened with them, but that model of investing, oh. which is very prevalent, prevalent I, nowadays with VC funds and tech money. Out I think there. it's interesting and we're seeing it, it's the sharing community. I think the concept is shifting from the, and there's an article we can put in the show notes on, on uh, you know, from the smokestack industry, what's happening again. And this is going to come back to three filters. I want to address is numeracy is, understanding that with a lot of these new tech companies or, you know, Ubers, WeWorks, they're investing a lot into research and development. If you understand at an accounting level, how research and development is, first of all, it's an expense in that year mm -hmm. in the year that it's incurred, right. but it doesn't show as an asset. Whereas if you compare it to the smokestack economy, which would be investing in real estate and uh, capital Railroads equipment or, or something, well, sure. it, it shows you invest a million dollars. It shows on the balance sheet, mm -hmm. but the expense is amortized over taken in taken written down over a few years. So as a lot of these tech companies are ramping up and they're spending proportionally more and more in R and D metrics like, P ratios and things when you're comparing the two are no longer they have the up. same validity. And they're not profitable and investors are tolerant of that lack so, of profitability. So right? I run algorithms yeah. and screens and managing my portfolios. Yeah. And first of all, you know, we're in order to do that, calc to do that calculation is 
of investing is I want to see that re- an expected return. I'd like to see it grow. And you want to have it across diversified company uh, sectors, companies, so not, not all your eggs in one basket. But as you're building or constructing these portfolios, all you're really doing is, and on that little chart that Hade referred to as just for fun and, you know, you take out your cell phone and you can do it on any, the financial calculation, the formula is PV equals C divided by 100 plus I being the interest rate in brackets to the nth power. Mm -hmm. So if I were to say, if I wanted to calculate the present value of a million dollars, Current value. At a rate of 10%, that would be Mm 1.10 in 35 years to the power of 35. That's the number of times it's compounded. Well. The number of periods that mm -hmm. you generate 10% interest, which is the number of times it's compounded. And so then you'll get a number, and then Mm -hmm. you can actually calculate and say, what's the present value today at that rate Mm -hmm. over that time period? Mm -hmm. So if I were to say, so the little table I did is I said at 10%, What's a million dollars? What would I, what would you have to put up now to have a million dollars in forty years? Well, mm. it's twenty two thousand and ninety five dollars. But if you even just go over one more box, ten more years, it's a huge years. difference. So yeah. you guys are all in your twenty like grand. Yeah. yeah. So let's say we went out fifty fifty years out. So if you put eight thousand five hundred nineteen away now, if you were compounding that at a rate of ten percent, mm. you're gonna have a million dollars. I mean, million dollars is attainable now. Mm. Again. This is simple. This is on a ceteris in economics, a ceteris peripus assumption, mm. all things being equal. Yeah. There's risks of legislation, default, mm. you know, in your portfolio, you might, so this is making an assumption to get in 10 yeah. every year. Yeah. You might get 15 one year, you might get seven, you might get zero, you know, different years, but if it averages out, and I would like to talk about, there are some fun with number little things that I'm sure. People can do at home. You can do at home. Mm-hmm. You probably like rule of 72. So if you say I'm getting a 10% rate of return, how often, how long will it take to double? Well, you just divide 72 by 10 and then 7.2 years. So every 7.2 years, your money's going to double at 10%. Mm-hmm. So you can go out and say, Hey, I'm, you know, if you're 30 years old and you want to know what you're going to, what would it, what would it grow to by the age of 60? You can just quickly do that and you can work it backwards the other way. If you know the the time period, I do. I do want to circle back actually into to one thing. Was when we were talking about cannabis companies, and I think uh, a Bitcoin is another one of them. Mm-hmm. Sort of those like flashy new things that come out, and everyone's you know, it, there's a lot of buzz around them. They're they're hyped up like crazy. Yeah. If investing directly in them isn't uh, a great option is there a way that you can sort of still get a piece of the action that those sure. companies are creating without taking on the risk of Yeah, secondary thinking companies? as you go, you know what? It may be a thing, um, just like the internet was, mm-hmm. um, but there are ways to indirectly play it yeah. without speculating on who's going to be the survivor. And so the indirect way to do it, and I kind of said with clients tongue-in-cheek, companies like uh, Kush Tard, which down here in the States would be Circle K. They bought Circle K. Mm-hmm. They consolidated a lot of the convenience stores. And I'd say, hey, you know what? Munchies Distribution and Kushtard has put its name up in Canada for, you know, distribution as a dispensary. Shoppers Drug Mart up in Canada, which would be a CVS down here mm-hmm. or Walgreens. There are ways. These are just products that, you know, you're, you're also seeing big, 
beverage companies mm-hmm. that are taking stakes in some of the larger surviving cannabis companies that they'll, you know, for, I guess, CBD. And um, it's just going to become a, the pharmaceuticals will get involved. Mm-hmm. So rather than direct plays, you can participate maybe through companies that are paying dividends mm-hmm. that are actually, you can do a calculation on what a, you know, present value or expected rate is, and you can still participate, but without the volatility or the octane. The problem is with a lot of these companies, when you lose sight of what the actual exercise and investing is, and I'll go back, this was in the 90s with Nortel, it was trading in multiples of like 300 times trailing earnings. Mm -hmm. And you go, what is that? It's become so abstract that people lose touch with what it actually means. So if you were a widget man, you were a sports bottle manufacturer and you're going to sell your company to a competitor, there'll be a multiple. They'll say, well, you know what? Maybe they'll pay you two times or three times the last year's earnings, which means that entrepreneur isn't going to take any money out of that company for three years till he pays it off till it breaks even. Different industries will have different multiples. So, you know, one uh, banks might have an 11, 11 times PE. Um, it varies. But when you see companies that are trading at 300 times trailing earnings, well, what does that mean? You're going to work in that company. How many generations of your family are going to work in that company without taking any income before it's, it's paid off? And 300 it's, years is a long time. You know, so it's well, kind that's, of- That's the owner, right? Assuming no growth of income or of earnings. Well, basically, if you're saying, hey, if I'm just going to pay the company off first before I'm taking anything out. For example, my my understanding is Tesla is is trading, especially right now at its peak stock price at a a PE that's that's enormous compared to other car manufacturers. And it's based on the possibility of future growth. They're they're taking kind of a different strategy than at least I see with WeWork, where WeWork was massively inflated based, but there's a lot of similarities, right? They're very based on the personality of the founder and their vision of the future of the company, Mm -hmm. where you're right. Like I'm a member of WeWork. I think it's a very interesting concept, but their valuation deflated and collapsed completely before they went IPO. (laughs) Right. But it was, it was, there was a lot of very bad underlying factors that Mm -hmm. made made the valuation go way up. And then once people were able to see through it more transparently, yeah. like, do you think Tesla runs that same risk, even though they're very much betting on climate change being a differentiating factor for that? Maybe that's their competitive advantage for their industry where they know the world's going to have to shift energy production in the next sure. 100 so years. I'd answer that by saying I'm absolutely um, philosophically rooting for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I don't have any, cl- I don't have any money invested or client money sure. invested in it. I think the challenge, and this is going to, this, this recurs in all kinds of industries is, you know, if I had a decision in the next couple of years of buying a, uh, a I'd probably buy a hybrid vehicle mm-hmm. and I would probably, I'd rather buy a Mercedes with a diesel and uh, electric option yeah. Yeah. rather than nothing against Tesla. Just out of convenience for charging it. You know, and, and I think you're going to see, yeah. yeah, and also, I mean, that's how locomotives yeah. run is their diesel engines with the, sorry, their, their, um, their diesel, but their 
diesel fuel. So it's just sipping a little bit of diesel fuel to keep With those generator. generators It's like, uh, going. like a Chevy Bolt or some of the more yeah. recent electric vehicles the big mm-hmm. three have put out. So, I mean, you had a good, you had an experience. And again, not bashing Tesla. Beautiful cars, love them, I'm rooting for them. Mm-hmm. But it's the actual how does that map into what you need the vehicle for? If you're going long distance, recharging the time. I guess, I guess my question was flight because of it, because Mm -hmm. uh, we rented a Tesla and it it died on us on the way to the airport. (laughs) And then we had to sit there for an hour while it recharged. You rented a Tesla. Did where you were staying have a charging station? No, you had to go find one. Yeah. That's terrible. (laughs) Yeah. And it was confusing too, because there's other electric car companies now that have their ports yeah. also in like mall parking yeah. lots so i was the first thing we did we went to whatever the mall parking lot and i'm trying to jam this <laughs> basically a, a square peg into a round hole for like 10 minutes and then i'm, I'm finally i look up at the thing and, and it's like, like oh, God, a toyota or whatever yeah. like yeah. station so like ah oh. and we had to go find the tesla one and we ended up waiting an hour missing our flight it was a whole product so i think the bullet point on a lot of these things is yeah i would say i'd rather not be the early adopter yeah. i'd rather let everyone else iron out the wrinkles. And once the infrastructure's there, then I'm okay with coming late to that. That's a a little later, right? The second, the first to market gets apples. You get sacrificed. The second to market (laughs) reaps all the benefit of, well, look at Apple. Yeah. Apple just perfected the phone. Uh-huh. They didn't invent or they weren't the early and the same with some of the earlier products too. It's yeah. so sometimes you don't have to be the first one out. Mm. Uh, and a lot of times they're not the, mm. uh, yeah. Amazon wasn't the first e-commerce bookstore. No. You know, um, I want you to, I want to hear more of your thoughts about how to distribute risk mm. and in that, kind of pursuit of creating this asymmetrical rational decision-making yeah. framework where you try to maximize return at the minimum possible risk. Yeah. Cause I think that means investing. That means diversifying. So, so yeah. if we go, that's yeah. one component. So yeah. first so, of all, like is, what else is, is in that equation? Invest only when you have edge, mm-hmm. uh, diversify otherwise mm-hmm. and realize most of the time you don't have the edge. And this is, goes back to like, you know, all these people talking about day trading It's like, yeah. well, not sure what edge they think uh, they have, mm-hmm. what competitive advantage that they have over the pros. Mm-hmm. As a pro, I would never encourage anybody to be a day trader. Day yeah. trading is when you, when you do like your own stocks, like you are in the stock market and you buy you make, stocks. And- you make short term trades. Like you right, like to buy try and sell to, over the like They're not investors. They're, day they're trading. Yeah. And they're, so trying they, to mac- but, they're trying to take advantage of changes in prices or trying to arbitrage. But your industry loves those value. people, right? Love them. I mean, yeah. that's easy alpha for us. Yeah. It's kind of like, if you're going to divide the smart money and the, I mean, they provide liquidity, which is mm-hmm. great. Part of my job for my clients mm-hmm. is, to provide liquidity to the impatient, which means we'll take the cash and we'll we'll take the other side of a lot of those transactions. Mm. And again, because a lot of those day traders are going to be susceptible mm. to that list of um, yeah. heuristics or biases, mm-hmm. you know, and a lot of day trading, if you're going to epitomize it in one heuristic, it's the placebo effect. Mm-hmm. It's the bias to take action. They mm. want to do something. But a portfolio can be like a bar of soap. The more you touch it, the smaller it gets. You, yeah. And and it's using the right scale. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like, imagine we just did the trip from Toronto down to Florida. But imagine if I was referencing it in terms of inches. I mean, how many inches have we gone? How many more inches to Florida? It's the wrong scale. 
imagine in your industry, if all your, every house you sold to a client, they were, that you put a ticker tape over the door and every night they came home, they looked at the price of their house <laughs> yeah. and it's like, a lot of well, anxiety. it's not your price. <laughs> yeah. It's not your prices. It's only two times when you buy it and when you sell it, yeah. you're not going to, they're probably not going to call you and say, sell the house. We're down 10,000 on the day, <laughs> you know, but they get that the time using the appropriate time horizon. Yeah. Mm. Same with investing mm. day trading. That's it's not investing, investing you're using. I'd even argue the good news, bad news of all this technology. And mm -hmm. you can look at your, your, it, it amplifies the heuristic or the bias, the placebo effect that take action. You're looking at it mm. where it's kind of like planting a, an acorn cause you want an oak tree 40 years from now, but you dig it up every, every couple of days to see if it's growing. So it's, it's really, so it's, it's recognizing those things and protecting yourself against them and reminding yourself, use the proper scale, the proper time horizon. Can you define what you mean by placebo effect in terms of making these types of decisions? Because we typically define it in the context of the effect of a treatment on a patient. Oh, right. So, right? okay, so, yeah, different. So, yeah. <laughs> the well, it has the same thing. It uh -huh. has a, a... You think doing something is going to cause an outcome? Right. Is yeah. you, you think that doing something is better than doing nothing, mm -hmm. but a lot of times the mm -hmm. patients and you expect of investing, a return because you well, you, did well, you get your dopamine. Yeah. You, you did something, you fiddled with, you changed yeah. this, you sold yeah. that, you did a bunch of yeah. short, ter short term yeah. things. And it's independent of what you do, right? Because you, you can do anything and get the same benefit, right? It's not right. a specific so not effect really, of the decision you made, yeah, right? Which it, is what it has in common with a medical It's not a good term. decision. And, yeah. and it's, um, so I see that a lot because mm -hmm. well, if I'm sitting with cash, I get more heat for having cash on the sidelines mm -hmm. because people's normal biases, you're not doing anything. It's like, well, you could just throw it into the market, but if I'm violating that fourth rule is getting mm -hmm. them at bargain prices, what's the point in overpaying mm -hmm. for something? I'm undermining the ability to generate those returns over time if I overpay now. Yeah. That sure. reminds me of why people are bad at poker yeah. because you see great poker players fold mm -hmm. before placing a blind yeah. way more often than not because they understand that same concept, which is why poker is an interesting model for, for resulting, making decisions. Resulting is another yeah. heuristic. But in poker, they're, they're like, I have this hand. It has a certain probability of performing well. Do I pay for the right to play this hand? And mm. they often say no, right? Because it's more expensive to pay to play a a lower value hand, mm -hmm. right? Well, I don't and know if you have you read any Duke's yes, book. Yes, uh, that's what I'm referencing. So, so good. <laughs> great takeaway from her book is yeah. re, is re, the concept of resulting. Yeah, yeah, which I include as one of the. I love her uh, idea of backcasting. I want you to explain what you think of that. Of that which backcasting. So like so. Uh, in oh. Instead of a priori assuming assuming certain things are going to happen, yeah. looking backwards from the results of your decision and Absolutely. trying to guess whether that was the right decision based on right. So what you're focusing on is the process. Yeah. So the analogy I would use is the two by two. It's kind of like if you and I are both heading here to the gym. Yeah. You get here ten minutes before me, and you say, "Well, you know what? I just blew through five five stoplights on the way here, mm -hmm. and the first one you go through, you you judge the." the merit of that decision based on the outcome, mm -hmm. which is resulting. Mm -hmm. And you say, well, that works. So you do it again. Mm -hmm. And then you do it again and again, and you get here, but you didn't get 
tagged either by the police or yeah. in the accident. It was a bad decision, good outcome. Mm-hmm. Right. There's a possibility that you could have a bad decision, bad outcome. Right. Yeah. And so you want to, you want to make sure that you're not judging, yeah. judging right and wrong mm-hmm. versus correct and yeah. investing as being, yeah. and just like, a, as you said, a good poker player is mm-hmm. being correct yeah. is having a good process, mm-hmm. uh, not, and again, that it feeds into overconfidence mm-hmm. is when people take yeah. luck mm-hmm. and ascribe it to skill, skill yeah. and think, well, and that gets into the day trading and it gets into all these My other people who have the hot streak of poker inevitably lose all their money. Right. Well, again, <laughs> and that's like probable, you know, if they think about statistical replacement mm-hmm. and, and that gets into, and I don't know if we mention it. Am I talking too much? No. <laughs> yeah. is, That's why is, you're here. It's three things that I think are, the, in terms of the uh, decision-making, is literacy, numeracy, and ecology. Mm-hmm. And under literacy, what are the words? Are they the right words? What are these? The three uh, filters? Three filters that I think what you use across them? life. And if you habitualize them, you can use them sure. everything. It, to me, it's, it's how to build a... I'd, I'd reframe it and say how to build a good BS detector. And I think that that's critical in every decision, whether it's investing or anywhere in life. So what are the words? So literacy, what are the words? Are they the right words or the best words? Numeracy, what are the numbers? Has time and repetition been taken into consideration? Do do they scale? A lot of things don't scale. Um, And ecology is, and then what? You can't just do one thing. It's all inter interrelated. So when you, each of them has a, has part of the map of reality. If you use all three, they give you a much clearer, clearer interpretation. So I think it's important in investing and you use all that. And the numeracy is a huge part thinking probabilistically. That's a big thing that we don't see in. I don't see it in clinical practice or you don't see it in people Nobody talks in training, right? No. That we don't have absolute, we have a lot of random effects in the world. We don't have absolute knowledge yeah. of, of, you know, of things that influence events. So we can only think probabilistically. Mm-hmm. Right? So you, you said, how do you protect, you know, big part of investing mm-hmm. is risk management, yeah. diversification. Mm-hmm. So probabilistically, you, you know, again, you can look at it and say, I don't want to have all my investments in one industry or mm-hmm. one company or, yeah you know, overweighted in this. So now you've, and that probable, that probabilisticness is also, I think you can tie back to the cannabis and the other things is when you're trying to value or you're investing in a company Mm -hmm. that you don't really have any measurable metrics, they're all variables. They're Mm -hmm. all, um, it's kind of like swinging at a, pitch while it's still in the pitcher's glove. Mm-hmm. You've got nothing to go on. You don't know how fast it's coming, or whether it's in the strike zone. And really in investing, what you want to do is wait for the fat pitches. Mm-hmm. Wait for the ones that you can, you know, what's right in the sweet spot. And those are the ones that you're going to swing, you know, you're going to go wait in. Wait for the l- fat bitches? Fat Sorry? pitches. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Fat That's baseball. what your mind took out of that whole conversation. <laughs> For the Maybe fat I chicks. Explain that clear enough. <laughs> yeah. Picture. Okay. I, I, okay. So I know I, we touched on this a little before we started, but I think a lot of people, whether they're just getting into the market, they're starting to invest money, 
or they're in their 20s and right now is a very very <coughs> vibrant time to become an entrepreneur to start a business mm-hmm. maybe not even i think the word business person and entrepreneur they're not synonymous in my eyes because no. running a successful business and being a successful entrepreneur ultimately leads you to the same goal but a lot of people are in their 20s now or 30s and they're interested in doing those things they're interested yeah. in starting a business they're interested in becoming an entrepreneur and i'm really curious to hear your opinion on going back to what you said at the beginning of the podcast, what are things that people could be doing? Because I was an economics student myself. The macro is amazing, but the micro to me is the most actionable source of discussion, right? So I love practicality. I love hearing people's thoughts on what is practical use of your time in your 20s or your 30s when you're first starting out, or maybe you even have a job and you want to figure out what to do with your money in order to guarantee uh, liquidity as, as I would see it over the next 30 to 50 years. So I would say first thing is just simple is I'm not advocating that, Hey, you, you put everything to the future, but you take a piece. So let's say it's 10%. You develop the habit of putting aside, being kind to your future self, realizing that if you, I think Tim Urbane has a website, wait, but why? And it's, you can take what is it. I think it's called wait, but why wait, but why? And he has one where he takes this 52 boxes across the top 90 down the side. And that's your life. And then you go down your years, because 52 weeks per year Mm -hmm. for 90 90 years. years. That's a, it's a bold estimate of some people's lifespan. Sure it is. (laughs) Statistically it's 82. Yeah. (laughs) But okay. Let's just say with all the advances in science and you guys are working on all these things that, Hey, we extend that and we go 90. The opioid crisis has brought it down a little bit. But okay. You could could take it and just do it to the, wherever you are. We don't carry a number. Let's not get lost in that part. But you go, Hey, so if you're 27, boom, you go in there. At first it's sobering. You go, I mean, I'm 56 Mm. and they go and like, yikes, you know, (laughs) that's more than half. And, but it's sobering in that not only here's what I got left, but you know, if we take traditional people retiring at 65 and you live to 90, well, good news, bad news. Good news is we're living longer. Bad news is you got to fund a lot longer period of time. Right. So the earlier you you get started, the Mm. exciting thing is you can very easily accumulate a million dollars. Mm-hmm by putting away systematically, you know, whether you're just buying, looking at total return, dividend paying, good blue chip companies over time. So one of those fun with numbers is if you decided that you needed a hundred thousand in retirement or 50,000. I think that's the first leap that you have to make. Sure. It's for a 20 year old to think about retirement. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but do that exercise yeah, yeah, yeah. with the 90, with your life in front of you as a yeah. finite thing. Cause we tend to, not want to think about yeah. it. Put and on so, a spreadsheet makes it very real. Right. So <laughs> yeah. it's forever, but it's like, boom, there it is. Yeah. There's your life. Here's where you're at. Here's what you got left. Mm-hmm. You're probably going to spend 8,000 days in retirement. What are those 8,000 days going to look like? Well, um, hey, best way to know the future is to create it yourself. And you start doing that by funding it and putting it aside and letting it grow. Let time do the heavy work versus, you know, you probably, and you can Google it, the example, two 20-year-olds put away 5,000. They start, the one puts 5,000 away for 10 years and stops. Mm. The other one waits to the 35, and then they start putting the 5,000. They'll never catch them. And then you start looking at, well, how much more money do they have to put in for 25 years instead of that 10? And you start to, it's another way of looking at that table. I prefer this table mm. that because we're bombarded all day long with, 
spend by, um, if you had this up in the corner of your mirror and you were looking at it and you're going, hey, a 10%, 50 years out, if I'm a 20-year-old and I'm going to eat 70, if I put away 8519 well, maybe I buy that used car, put that extra eight away, and there's my million dollars by the time I'm 70. Well, how many of those do you want to have set aside over time? So if you reframe it, but no one's doing that out there mm. because it's... So what's so? Do you have? Do you know of? Um, do you, do you recommend tools? I know they exist that nudge people to make the default decision to to put money away as they spend money. Sure, if that you know, if that helps you uh, do um, it, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I know there's something like Acorns. There's probably several others. There's, there's um, a ton of them out yeah, there yeah. now. That uh, right? Yeah. I think that's the thing. It's the making the decision part over and over again that's hard for people. Right. If the default decision is to invest. But that's why I'd know. say it's even smarter. You make the decision once. Yeah. So you set the set it on autopilot. Yeah, set and forget, right? So it's taken yeah. right off your paycheck or mm-hmm. it's automatic I think that's transfer. Really tough for people in our generation with the I mean, honestly, like you look at social media every day, you look at Instagram. If you like watches, <laughs> oh my God, your whole Instagram is gonna be full of a new watch every single day or a new pair of shoes or something that is it's Absolutely. and it's so in your face. Yeah. I think a lot of people in our generation and maybe even older are having a very difficult time with that unbelievable amount of attention it's that they're un- giving. It's an unfair now, fight. It's gotten so, so it's crazy tough, yeah. that you can actually man. finance shoes now. <laughs> if you want yeah. to get hot new kicks and you don't have the money, you can pay for it over Play a away. year. <laughs> so again, under the, so flip that around at what percentage rate? And now all of a sudden you've got compounding working against you. If you're carrying credit card debt, it's yeah. even student loan debt. Student loan debt, you know, it's like, so here's the thing is it? so there's probably a lot of people out there too. They're going, I don't want to think about it. I got student loan debt. Yeah. I'm carrying credit card balance. But if you, it's an interesting concept, you know, or all the other things people say, I'm not disciplined enough. Well, we're all hundred percent disciplined to our existing set of habits. And to me, that was very liberating epiphany years ago is, is, the successful or the wealthy just have better habits. Here's a little fun with numbers. If you take your age, multiply your pre-tax income and divide by 10, and then take a look at that number. Multiply if, by what? Take your age Eight. times your pre-tax oh, income, okay. income gotcha. divide by 10. and divide it by 10. So this, this was from a book years ago, uh, Millionaire Next Door. Mm-hmm. So you either an a, a UAW, a AAW, or a PAW, uh, under accumulator of wealth. That's the United Auto Workers. An average or a, a prodigious. Mm-hmm. So you want to be in the latter. And a lot of people are going to look at that and go, I'm not even close. So the first thing is, is, you got to take action. All we, we should throw up the numbers that qualify you for each one in the show notes also. So people can check. That yeah. Out. Where yeah. people can find it. That's super interesting. I've, I've never heard of that myself. Well, it's yeah. just going to be whatever your, your age times your pre-tax income divided by 10. That's well, your number. But what value yeah. puts you in each category? That number. Why are you dividing by 10 other than just to take a zero? Off so, okay. Them? So let's say, <laughs> let's say you're 27 years old uh-huh. and you're making a hundred thousand a year. Yeah. So that's two, two, two 2.7 million it's divided like, by 10 is yeah. 270. Okay. So, oh, so that uh, number, that number, if you have it, if you're under, yeah, you're at it, you're average. Uh-huh. And if you're above it, mm-hmm. then you're 
You're the PAW. Oh, so that's the bench. That's the baseline. That's your number. own benchmark. Okay. So it's so going to be a you're very... above your age multiplied by. Okay. Yeah, oh, you're, you're, and you're... that's the that's the amount of money you're putting away. That's how much you've got saved. That's okay. Not oh, oh, what your house is yeah, worth. Total oh, saved. that's not the rate of savings. It's how much you no. have total saved. Right. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. So it's just kind of it's a benchmark. Okay, it makes it's sense. It's kind of a fun number to look at. So you can either get discouraged by it or you can say, you know what? Um, so it assumes that you need to accumulate ten percent of your of your uh, your wealth essentially for every making up for the years you were a, a child. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it becomes more meaningful, yeah. obviously, the more years you're yeah. you're in work, but. Yeah. It does. It's an interesting benchmark. And they took this from, they did a whole study on millionaires, mm -hmm. you know, different types and how they got there. And, mm -hmm. um, but it's another fun with a benchmark, fun with numbers. Um, I think I got kind of off on a, yeah. so yeah, spun yeah. Off we, on we, were, a, we started off talking about how, uh, someone starting out was Marx's original question. Yeah. What would uh, be savings, your, your, basically yeah. your advice to them, maybe in terms of, uh, how how they could get started with either investing or or whether investing is the best Starting option for them or, or becoming an entrepreneur. So yeah. I how think do you this, change the the the. Sorry to cut you. I, how do you? Uh, I had this thought just now. We we're talking. How do you change the framework of somebody's habits and decision making processes when they're so like? Let's say you are one of those people that's like your life is you're spending and you're going out to dinner, you're going out to bars, you're going to buy drinks, you're buying clothes every week, and your mind is not like the framework. Of your mind is not geared toward the way that you think are you so, looking so you're, at this? So, you're, so you're a normal human being and it's an unfair yeah, fight because you've sure. been bombarded everywhere you look with We're all living those in messages time where that's yeah. that's the reality so you need it. an antidote yeah and to me I, I think the antidote is to reframe it and remind yourself to be kind to your future mm. self and like to be that. able to say you know what i i'm i'm not going to not do participate mm. you're going to find your level but once you it's kind of you change your assumptions you change your perspective you change your reality so the first thing is you got to change the assumptions so right now the default assumptions are you got to have and do all these things right. to be validated in society right mm -hmm. by resulting sorry you're resulting right so you but now yeah. to now <laughs> to change that assumption and say you know what i'm going to you're gonna you start reframing you start looking at an alternative. So if you're, you're looking at a decision, you're going, well, I could, you know, you see that it's more accessible than, than this overwhelming out of reach number. And you also don't get frustrated is there's a concept called the gap. It's the same with working out is you go, here's my ideal, but your ideal is like a horizon. As you approach it, it's always moving away. It's why you see people that seem to be successful, but they're always unhappy mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. they never, ever get to they never reach their they're goal. Relatively deprived of so their they're, goal. <laughs> they're caught in the gap. Yeah. So it's kind of, I don't know if you've ever been to London on the, uh, yeah. mind, mind the gap. The gap. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. to me, that's wise life advice. Mind the gap. We mm. all can get stuck in there. Well, do you I think th Seth do you Godin calls it the dip. Do you think that that's like a problem of ever escaping goals and, and desires as opposed to having a like, no, I think a concrete just, set, like, because like, all right, let's take it back to fitness, right? Every one of us in here have a number in mind that we want to squat, bench, or deadlift, right? right? And in business, I think you could also apply it. And once you reach those numbers, like I set one out for myself every sure. year. And like, let's say it's in business or it's in the gym. This year, I set out three of those goals and I accomplished two of them or last year, right? And it's very easy to look back now and be like, okay, cool. I hit those two goals they are massive for me. And I feel very accomplished as a result of that. And what you're saying about this gap idea is like, 
yeah, I hit them, but I really wanted 390 kilos or, or like a 400 or kilos. Once you reach that goal, you're unhappy. Now, well, now your goal becomes something else. So you want right. to measure progress, not yeah. perfection. Mm-hmm. So you yeah. go, I started the year benching 200 pounds. Right. I wanted to get to pick a number 250, but sure. I ended up at 240. So you could be, you could be pissed off, bummed out that you didn't hit your goal. You're a failure. Or mm-hmm. you could say, Hey, I increased my, I increased by 20% my, my bench. Mm-hmm. That was progress. That's huge. And then you reset your thing. The same thing with investing or saving, mm-hmm. investing, yeah. paying off that student loan, measure your progress, and then try to just keep ratcheting that up. So that aside, really- aside from saving, do you think, how could somebody who's starting out, um, either find an advisor or get advice for themselves or figure out how to invest. Like, would you recommend one that somebody goes and finds a financial advisor or portfolio manager? Should somebody just walk into the bank and, and let the person at the bank, you know, help them pick packages, investing packages there. What's, what should someone who wants to be proactive, but so, doesn't know a lot do. So the good news, I think for a lot of, so here's the, here's the reality and the challenges. The way the in, the industry is structured is, where do I find the hedge fund to give all my money to? <laughs> <laughs> that's not the. That's, that's what you don't want. Oh, so we're inverting. Yeah, that's how to not become a millionaire. Um, so, what you want to do is first of all is build out that robust BS detector. You got to be able to ask some questions. You have to understand incentives to be able to ask the. You know, understand how whoever you're dealing with is being compensated. Um, like anything, you want to, whether it's a personal trainer you're looking for, you got to, there's a compatibility. You've got to be comfortable talking to them. I think one of the good tests, I mean, Hayden and I were talking about this, is if you're sitting in the meeting with the advisor, it should be all about you. So if you're doing a discovery meeting, that first hour yeah. meeting should be all about you. If you're getting the sense it's not and it's about them, it's not a good fit in that relationship. Yeah, I remember not- you told me that once when I was going to interview with a client that called yeah. us, yeah. that was such a powerful way of reframing every client interaction I've ever had since, because I've now I go into them. I'm not here. I'm just here to absorb your needs. And like, how do I add value to what you do already? Yeah. That's kind of the approach that I found to be very effective. And you take yourself out of the equation essentially. Yeah. And you're, you're putting them first. You're listening. I mean, if you're just telling them about how great you you are, then you're not getting an opportunity to understand because in order to get responsible advice, it's kind of like going to the doctor. They need to do a, an exam. They need to know mm, patient centered, client centered. Yeah. Right? What the issue, what are your issues? Yeah. They can't just stand yeah. there with a pain points, right? Ladling that's out a, a moxicillin, you, you know, oh, they do that. <laughs> <laughs> not ask you what, what's uh you know, what's the issues. Yeah. So to me, you, you do want a relationship. Um, you need to be aware not denigrating the banks. They, they all, they're like tools used responsibly for their right purpose. Think of if you go and you buy a mutual fund, it's like you're paying for packaging. It's individual servings. You got a little, you know, for $500 or a thousand dollars, you're getting an instant diversified potentially portfolio or buying an ETF. But as you accumulate more wealth, now you can go to private wealth managers where now you strip away that packaging. And now you're building out. So I'll, I'll build, you know, and so my minimums are higher than if you're going to walk into the bank. 
So normally with clients, ideally it's a million plus or several million. I do take smaller entrepreneur people, you know, that are doing the right things. And then in my practice, I'm dealing with fourth generations and sometimes even briefly spanning all four generations. So I get to see that time, you know, moving down the line. So it's more stewardship. And that's what you want to find is an advisor with a steward mentality, not a, they're, you know, they got a hot tip. There's a, I mean, again, you need to satisfy yourself. You don't, you don't want George Costanza's guy. <laughs> you guy. don't want the gambling, the, invest, <laughs> the uh, speculating, the day trading. If you are trying to think of this as you're putting together your, I mean, this is just one goal is talking about your retirement. Um, and as you say, that's one of the furthest stuff. It could be saving up to purchase your home or, you know, same principles. You know, you don't want to be gambling, speculating, you know, for any of those mm-hmm. things. And you want to make sure that your time horizons are sufficient, that you want time to be your friend, not your enemy. Mm-hmm. So you don't want to, or matching maturities. You don't want to be, if you were to come to me and say that, Hey, I've got this money. I want to invest it, but in two years I need it back you shouldn't be in the market period because you understand the structure of the market. There's business cycles that can last on average seven years. You don't want to be, you never want to be whether in real estate, I'm sure you tell your clients or investing, you don't want to be a forced seller. No, so even, even, you know, like the real estate business, you're making your money on the buy, no matter yeah. what. Right. Because if you're in a bubble, Prices are going to be speculatively and high. That's your margin of safety and the same in investing. Yeah. So yeah. like if, if like, you know, I'm in the process of buying my own house right now. I'm like, you're always looking at what you're paying for it. And I'm in the appraisal business also. So you're always looking at what are comps selling for? Yeah. Am I getting a good deal? And like, if you're really worried about pinching five to 10 grand or 20 grand on the buy, you're not looking at it the, the long-term view because if you're really looking at a real estate asset so if you're looking at it as an investment you're looking at it over a 10 to 20 to your time horizon and you can measure it through all sorts of metrics i mean you can look at your internal rate of return you know, all sorts of things that can justify like okay maybe i can boost the value of this property in 10 different ways so if you're really worried about things on the buy side like as a personal thing you might not be looking at it the right way but if you're looking at it as an investment yeah it's a little bit more delicate and you know, you get to take emotion out of it to a degree, mm-hmm. but in the real estate business, you're looking at, okay, what is the average rate of return over 20 years, mm-hmm. five years? Uh, and I grew up in a time where I got, I cut my teeth in the business buying foreclosed assets from banks in 2010 to 2014 when things were at rock bottom prices. And I could see the effects of speculation mm-hmm. and deleterious effects of the credit markets at the time. And for selling, I mean, these were, these were way past that point, but you could see the effects of, of uh, kind of a bad business cycle. And, you know, if you bought something in 2005, 2008 time period in the U.S., now your prices are back to where they were, if not maybe a little bit higher than the speculation back then. But it just goes to show you, even in a bubble, if you hold out and you're patient over a long enough period of time, your money will stay safe, especially if the fundamentals of the asset are good. And I'm sure it's the same in investing. Well, and it's, I think the same principle applies is you'll make money over time, not all the time. Right. And, and again, mm-hmm. it's the, having the appropriate scale. And I think it's also a good example of the similar perverse incentives. It's like if you have a financial advisor who isn't aligned with your incentives, yeah. they may not even give you 
the market return. Yeah. So it's like you might as well just buy the package. Which ETF, again, you know. which I think is so. I think for some people yeah. starting out, the ETFs are yeah. not a bad. I think Warren Buffett has said, "Yeah, put half your money in a, a treasury bill and put the other half in the S and P five hundred. Yeah, and the reason he says that it's not for start he, for beginners. For beginners, or don't want to play the game. Or well, do, and the reason he says that is is smart because yeah. a lot of people pick that apart and go, "Hey, that's not what he does." No, it isn't. But what he realizes is all of the the cognitive biases that you have to navigate, you know, and the circle of competence, you're starting out, you, you don't have an edge mm-hmm. or an advantage, you know, all these other uh, things that are ranging from, you know, we touched on resulting loss. There's loss aversion, availability, confirmation, um, overconfidence. We touched on hurting, familiarity, yeah. anchoring. Loss these- aversion is a good one for the market. Yeah. Well, again, and now yeah. so now your that loss aversion yeah. is you're short circuiting that probabilistic because uh-huh. now you're you're placing a a greater greater value on the pain mm. than on the upside. So it's really numerically you've yeah you've undermined it's, it. It should be this. It should be the same objectively, right. but it's not. People are much more afraid of losing, and it's so, like you can even value it. It's like people might be more afraid of losing than the possibility of gaining a hundred. Yeah. Right, losing fifty, gaining a hundred, or losing ten, gaining yeah. a, or, or you know, if people don't do the probability very yeah. well. But um, well, so, so if you go back to like that recommendation of the, uh, so he's so you average it out and you say what's the S and P done over the last ten, twenty, whatever years, and it's always the caveat always is past performance not indicative of future returns, mm-hmm. but you're getting strong single digit growth, mm-hmm. and if half of it's in a treasury bill, you know you blend those two. You know, you look on the chart and it's like, hey, what's that money going to grow to? It's a great way to seed and get started. Mm-hmm. And then as you, whether it's through referral or recommendation or talking to your accountant or other professionals or family members that uh, can recommend where they've, and then going in and talking to them yourself to make sure that you're, you're comfortable, that you're going to, it's a good fit, that you'll get the time and attention and that we've all got biases too that like I've shared with you, mine, that's the investing side. So if you came mm-hmm. in and said, look, I'm trying to get 20% a year and I want to take uh, big risks and penny stocks and stuff, not your guy, mm-hmm. you know, not a good, not a good fit. The banks, you know, mutual funds, not a bad place to start, but you know, you've got to understand their incentives too. It's not, you know, here in the States, the good news is, and ideally, if you have enough capital that you can get a fiduciary, you want somebody with a fiduciary responsibility and liability mm-hmm. versus suitability. And that's a higher standard where they have to put, there are consequences and they do have to prove that they are putting solely your interests first, where under the suitability standard, someone, as long as it's reasonable, that whatever asset allocation and investment you're in is suitable for someone like you with your income. And there is an inherent conflict of interest with the firm and with their own incentives. So if you can get the higher standard and certainly once you've accumulated more money, you you certainly can. But I mean, there's lots of options now and uh, from Schwab to who's just bought uh, TD Ameritrade. Um, It's a great way Mm -hmm. to get started. And then just like in your industry, coaching, you know, whether you're a pro 
Um, and I think that it's interesting too. The wealthy recognize the most the value of getting a professional coach, which is an advisor, mm-hmm. you know, and delegating, recognizing their circle of comp, uh, competence and delegating those day-to-day decisions to a professional that is dedicating full-time and attention to that. Did, did I answer your it, question on how do you, where yeah, do you go? And it kind of brings me to a new question, which I think is, again, like I'm a huge fan of practical advice for people mm-hmm. and myself because I was, you know, I, I, I love it. It's, it's such an easy way to kind of reframe your own framework in your mind. Yeah. And the thing I just thought of, I want to ask you is uh, a lot of people in our generation, young folks starting businesses, starting to invest, uh, like how do you, what do you recommend to people in terms of keeping cash on hand and of being liquid in terms of having a savings account? Is there anything that you can recommend to kind of shape the thought process behind that because like a rule of thumb yeah yeah sort of a thing. rule of thumb or just a, a mindset because like i said when i was growing up and i was coming of age i saw the great financial collapse happen and sure. it devastated a lot of people and there was a lot of especially in the real estate business there's a lot of very highly leveraged properties that sure you know then you end up in a very tough situation so because th- of that so think about it like training as an athlete you you want to have that margin of safety mm-hmm. so you you don't just you want to know that if you're tackled or hit, you've got a surplus of strength and mobility to be able to absorb that. Well, to mm. translate it into investing would be you want that additional strength or that you want to be anti-fragile. So you want to have liquidity. So you want that emergency right. fund. So rule of thumb would be, you know, ideally you want to have six months cash on hand, um, sort of your synthetic workaround for that would be a line of credit so that you're, you know, to bridge you as long as you're not dipping into that for consuming. And I think, mm-hmm. I think if you've, that's one way to have it, um, as an emergency fund only until you've built up a cash reserve that, you know, whether it's loss of uh, employment, it's, it's illness, mm-hmm. then there's all kinds of other risk management. There's that you get into things like critical illness um, you know, disability, life insurance. Hey, you can have the best, uh, best retirement plan, but nothing will screw it up like dying or, <laughs> or getting critically ill or disabled. Yeah. So what percentage are, of bankruptcy is medical bankruptcy? Uh, sorry? Do you know offhand the, the amount, the percentage of bankruptcy is because of medical bills? In the States, I think that's the number one. Yeah, it's number one. Yeah, it's, it's something, it's like an enormous percentage. It's, it's, it's mind-boggling. Yeah. Um, the healthcare conversation, you could have that for days. Yeah, the cost, mm-hmm. people, you know. So again, yeah, it's the, like anything, right? It's, it's like, so you, f- you first identify what's important and then what's in your control yeah. and you focus on that overlap on what you can do. So, mm-hmm. so you could spend a lot of time and energy angst and over fixing the medical system or mm. within your control would be yeah. to put aside that fund to have the insurance. And again, that insurance, like life insurance or the critical illness disability, it's like an instant portfolio of something where to ha- all it is, is to replace your earning mm. ability. So if you're married, you've got kids, some, you know, you can, it's a simple calculation to figure out how much insurance you should have. If something inopportune were to happen to leave your survivor's hole. So again, all it is, is uh, risk management. So you're planning for that cash reserve should let you sleep better at night. And it's, there's a stopgap If there is something that interrupts your regular 
um, you know, unforeseen things. And again, I just ca- cl- classify that as being anti-fragile because mm. you just want to have that surplus capacity mm. there to absorb those unexpected hits. Preparing yeah, for bla- anti-fragile, preparing for black swans. Right. It's like, <laughs> I mean, um, they do happen. Yeah. Um, well, and also you can engage in healthy behaviors to minimize risks of catastrophic illness, but catastrophic yeah, illness That's where we does, come in. Right. Yeah. That's where we come in. Some people. That's also an interesting <laughs> circle back to managing the process, not the result. Yeah. Right. We all, we can't control that outcome, but we can change the probabilities by changing behavior. Yeah. And that's what the cycles might have to be about is what could I do better? What could I have done better yeah. whenever we make a decision within a cycle? Uh, what I think is, I want to get your thoughts on is again, right? So we're talking about hedging against risk. We mentioned the, 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 you know, the, the real estate bubble and the financial crisis, large institutions full of really smart people didn't manage risk or didn't adequately measure risk. Um, How do we, but not that might make be a the moral mis- hazard issue yeah. more than anything. Yeah, like how do we not make the mistake, not just in our own kind of finances, but in other decisions, and also like for example, in, in our business, like so. Look at yeah, you know, if at, you have a business, how do you hedge against the cash possi- flow? Yeah. So you look at look at what led to that to mm. the two thousand and eight mm. beyond the malfeasance mm-hmm. and the you know and all the things yeah, but, that broke but, down. And I think my. I want to focus on, like, for example, Bear Stearns just yeah. one day finds out they have, I think it's $30 billion of assets that are worthless, right? right. And it makes the company, the next morning, you know, the, yeah, the next morning, the company Oof. will be illiquid if they don't get, you know, a loan, a line of credit from JP Morgan. Like that, like that's the the right. situation that I'm imagining, you know. So again, not calculate. Yeah. So if we, if we look at that, I looked at that whole period of time yeah. and that was like, that was a uh, like what lessons can we learn from that? Because it's so, not a question of, you know, people not having so that, the know-how, that, right? So that BS detector yeah, yeah. that, that Were we they continually their own BS? work on. And you, yeah. well, not only that is, <laughs> well, incentives. Uh, uh-huh. They, they, there was perhaps an incentive to not really mm-hmm. to the numeracy to actually mm-hmm. look at the math and the mm-hmm. numbers and, mm-hmm. and all the, uh, human nature mm-hmm. that the the incentives of the uh, of the uh the rating services mm-hmm. you know everything down to the consumer level during that period everyone was perverse wanted, incentives yeah i mean everyone to distribute loans fear of yeah. missing out make them a rated under under you know underestimate the risk of default underestimate the risk of cascading default overestimate the, the value of the yeah, assets so they didn't have that margin of yeah. safety that yeah. any fragile that black swan yeah. shock absorber to be able to yeah. i mean and i don't think a lot of people realize how precariously the financial the world was teetering on the abyss there mm-hmm. for a while before it was an interesting enough, you know, one of the superheroes that came in was Warren Buffett mm-hmm. in helping to, uh, you know, provide some liquidity and confidence back into that market. Mm-hmm. I think how you avoid that is, you know, you, you've got to, you got to ask those questions. The, the, the numeracy is to be able to go, go, does it, 
does this make sense? Like, mm. you know, does this scale? Problem is that didn't scale. You can't scale that kind of a almost Ponzi scheme type mm-hmm. debt, you know, with, with deteriorating, um, uh, you know, what do they call them? Ninjas. Mm-hmm. No one, no income, no, no income, loans, no basically. job. Yeah. You know, Ninja like, loans, how could yeah. that possibly go wrong? Yeah. The default well, it did scale. That's the problem. It was so, <laughs> you can always, you can find, you can find, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> the a people good way. that were keeping it going were incented to because they were making a ton of money yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. in issuing mm-hmm. that paper. So it's, you know, so how do you protect yourself? Not be overextended, not. And the problem in real estate is if you're putting 10 down, you're leveraging 10 times mm-hmm. that cuts both ways in a rising market. You mm-hmm. can real estate's wonderful, but if it doesn't take much to wipe out the equity in that mm-hmm. investment, well, you always have to make sure that not only, well, in real estate, if you're buying something personal or investment, there's so many factors that go into yeah. it, but ultimately are you comfortable with the long-term obligation of repaying that debt? Right. Ultimately, do you believe that you are going to be able to repay something for 30 years? Yeah. And that's mm-hmm. a big chunk of most people's income. Sure. Yeah. I think that's a very very practical consideration because what led to a lot of the speculation back then was an overconfidence that they weren't going to be able to pay that debt. They were overconfident in the fact that the asset itself was going to rise by 20 to 30%. Yeah. Which led to a lot of this, you know, mm. kind of like the Bear Stearns type situation mm. where, where they're holding hold. a lot of paper yeah. and they're holding these like, collateralized I, debt obligations and uh, all sorts of things that are I, suddenly worth a tenth of what they thought it was. I think Hank Paulson called it a bag of flaming garbage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for yeah. sure. I mean, a lot of people yeah. were holding that. Yeah. And Lehman obviously was holding the most of it yeah. Yeah. and closed well, they, as they, soon as they, they figured all it out. Were. Yeah. Everybody was, yeah. you know, whether it was a commercial product or residential yeah. product. It's just, uh, so I would, I would say your, your best defense is quality is, yeah. is bike. So it goes back to that understandable class A companies. Mm. And so the interesting thing through all that, mm. that was a phenomenal time to be, that's where on some of my highlight reels, there was some great opportunities. The Canadian banks, all of a sudden became like Swiss banks. They advanced all their plans for growth by 10 years. Mm-hmm. Companies like Couchetard, we talked about mm-hmm. convenience stores. They went over to Europe and bought mm-hmm. up uh, stat oils, convenience stores. Yeah. So they were buying assets for pennies on the dollar. Brookfield asset management went around the world, scooping up, you know, class a, mm-hmm. um, the cargo shipping mm-hmm. container ports you know, and refinancing them. So these companies, so it's kind of like a culling of the herd. Mm. The companies that have strong balance sheets mm. and have the cash flow to generate, to finance their own growth or access to capital markets, they get to swoop in and pick up their competitors. What, what does, um, is it Warren Buffett who says it? Cash is the ultimate call option yeah. on every asset? With no expiry. With no expiry. So it's like if you're sitting with billions like he is of mm. cash, well, guess what? He gets better deals. They're not They're not coming to me. They're not going to, you know, Warren and some of the large mm. managers. They do get to see some deals that are at some pretty, and they're sharp guys. Mm. They're making sure that they're making asymmetrical bets. They've covered themselves on the on the downside. So a lot of what, I mean- a lot of what Warren, what Berkshire Hathaway did mm-hmm. and their investments were very profitable during that time. Yeah. They weren't freebies. I know they, um, Bridgewater made, like, my dad lives very close to Bridgewater oh, in Connecticut. So they Dalia, made, they uh, made 20 to 30% return uh, yeah. on, in those two years. Oh, boy. Each yeah. of those two years. So it's uh, like, so it depends on your perspective. Yeah. I saw investments where 
guaranteed by perpetual preferreds in Canada. So if you understand the structural, the, the structure of the market mm-hmm. in Canada, preps are, are predominantly um, retail clients, which are subject to all these biases, a lot more volatility. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of profit uh, tax loss selling going into the end of 2008. So these things were issued at $25 the gap down to $13, which took their yield from five to 10 Mm. forever, like an annuity guaranteed by the banks and the insurance companies. So to me, it was one of those back up the truck. Who cares if these things ever come? I think they are, but even if they don't, will we be okay with 10% return? (laughs) Look at your little, you know, when you Mm. go forever, you're always like a 10% return (laughs) and they can't call these things. They're perpetuals. And by January, within a month, I think they'd come up about 30%. And within that year, they were up well over 80 and traded to north Mm. of 25 of the issue. So to me, that was one of those asymmetrical risks, hardly any downside. They were mispriced Mm. and understanding the structure. So so I think when you do see those opportunities, Mm. sorry, when you do see those disasters and those things, And I think it's war. I think it's another Berkshire. It's like, hey, you buy when there's blood in the streets. That's yeah, when these I, guys are reloading for their next. You know, that's where they're gonna get. That's where they're that last metric and that four step process. Mm-hmm. Buying good companies at bargain prices, and a lot of times they're good companies, but they just may not have the liquidity. They may not have the access to capital markets or the the internal cash flow mm-hmm. to expand their uh, expansion. So they they either get merged or bought out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's the same thing in the real estate market down here. When the crash happened in 2010 in Miami, developers were buying land. That land was planned, Cheap. permitted, and redeveloped uh, up until just today. The tallest residential tower in Miami was scrapped in 2007, mm-hmm. and they just recently opened as an 850-foot rental tower. It's massive, you know? But every condo building you see here, the land was purchased, planned, and zoned yeah. during the downtime. That's it's the same across all all uh, all markets, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Any, any, do you have any sort of cl- things that we didn't touch on that you think are are worth discussing? Probably. You have you have a fun, one funny story that I think that I want you to share before we wrap, and that was um, you you got me one of them actually the uh, certificate. Oh, Briax. I thought that was a funny story. Uh, back in the 90s, actually, Matthew McConaughey stars in, I think the movie's called Gold. I know that movie. So, which, which, to my surprise, is it's not like the Hollywood version. They dumbed it down. Mm-hmm. The reality was far crazier than what they depicted in the movie. I was disappointed. It's like, what? It's like, <laughs> it was so so far off the charts crazy and so many metrics but that's a great movie by the way mm-hmm. if people haven't seen that should go but, see but it but the uh you know it was just it was one of these ridiculous things again i took a lot of heat and that uh, movie was based on brix right Brie-X. so a canadian canadian gold company where it was fraudulent it was malfeasance mm-hmm. um but it was one of the biggest scandals certainly at kind the of time. like an enron type thing they were they were lying. Yeah. They were mining, and they were pretending they found gold to get continued investment from people. And oh, they, like a Ponzi scheme! They the actually hadn't found any gold at, at all. The ridiculous part was the gullibility 
of so many, but again, That's fear sweet. of missing out. Like all these things. It's like Madoff. You look at the yeah, list of right. institutional investors and Bernie Madoff's thing, and he wasn't yeah, even making like, trades. Oh, how am I getting these returns? He's like, huh? yeah, it, but <laughs> it's like, literally wouldn't make any trades. Like <laughs> what I did back then was I had, uh, I think the story that Hayes alluding to yeah. is I spent all kinds of time. And a lot of part of what I do in my practice is, mm. is helping coach and mm. protect, uh, clients against themselves and their blind spots and all the reminding them of the, mm -hmm. what the sort of the long-term plan is and the, mm -hmm. you know, the policy statements we have in place. But the interesting story was there was, I got a lot of heat. People were, you know, were getting ticked off at me because I was just a hard no. Like this doesn't make sense. I didn't know it was fraudulent. They wanted you to sense. invest in Brea. They wanted so. to put money in and I'm going, no, sorry, I'm not going to do it. Yeah. Um, and they, you know, they were getting, that's uh, not what I do. It's, yeah. I, I'm, I don't want that on my hands. So anyway, long story short, when it did all blow up, you could still, back then you could get physical certificates. So just for fun, for some of my clients with a good sense of humor, I bought them some physical shares um, and had them delivered out, registered in their name before they completely <laughs> shut the whole thing down as a souvenir. And I did it for the kids, for Hayden and uh, and my daughter, Emily. They have certificates. That's the ultimate I told you so, though. <laughs> Here's kind of your like, bullshit stock. Hey, for all the grief I had, to, I had to go through at the time because yeah. they were all, everyone, all their friends were making money. That's a money. collector's item. It is. It's no, like it's an like, Enron. It's a piece of history. Uh, it's history. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. Uh, next time I come down, I'll bring it yeah, down you so bring you can it down. hang it in your it's office. It's like a share in a Thetsy's trading company. Yeah. 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 <laughs> And that's a great book, by the way, yeah. uh, the extraordinary delusions and madness of crowds, yeah. which it chronicles like these things. It's like, it's like human nature. It's like yeah. the vehicles change over time, you know, but they just, it comes around again. It mm. just recurs. It's like, like what they say, it doesn't, re history doesn't repeat itself, but it rhymes. Mm -hmm. It's kind of. It's the same thing, just, like you know, that. whether it's a tech and telecom and, mm -hmm. you know, the next bubble, the next thing, and you know, whether it's going to be a cannabis or a, you know, I do like, again, I'm rooting for, I think that, you know, Bitcoin, that the blockchain technology mm -hmm. It's going to be in court visa. Everyone's going to be using it. Yeah. Every logistic. And we talk to, about using it in healthcare to distribute be, a, a common so you're right. not patient record. Yeah. But you're not mm -hmm. going to buy Like you don't yeah. want to necessarily buy it. It's yeah. all the. It's like a proof of concept for a technology. It's like the internet. Yeah. Gonna it's going to be. Yeah. It's going to be part embedded in. It's wonderful. And, mm -hmm. and I certainly see the merit, but mm. I'd rather buy visa or MasterCard and trust that mm. they're this hasn't escaped them and yeah. they're going to, which is, right. you know, other great companies, mm. but, um, there are, it's probably a ton of stuff I'm happy to share and whether it's circling back in the notes or if, if, if your listeners find any value in that and want to continue the conversation, um, yeah. Where can they, where can people find you? LinkedIn. <laughs> Where's your Instagram? What, what have LinkedIn? Look professional. I got a cardboard cutout on link, on LinkedIn that if you reach out, I'd uh, <laughs> I'd, I'd certainly best efforts uh, get back. Uh, 
I think that would be the right place to find a financial advisor. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not on Instagram. Find your advisor in the comment section of my squat video from Jim, who just made ten thousand dollars working with. Or Sergey, who wants twenty one thousand dollars in a spare bank account with the, with the number. Oh, man. I can't believe that's they're they're actually getting people that actually respond. Yeah, to this yeah. Thing, but so, so Deanbo yeah. on LinkedIn, if they're trying to find you, that's awesome. What um, a flex. <laughs> yeah. He has five hundred plus. I'm no, definitely going to connect I, with I you after this if we're not. Because it's a little different in my industry because you don't put clients up there because a lot of my practice is predicated on confidentiality. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, I haven't, fi- I haven't figured it out. <laughs> I need, I need help. <laughs> Any LinkedIn experts out there that can, you know, navigate the intricacies of my, uh, uh, regulatory, uh, profession. Yeah. Discretion's key, eh? Same with us. Awesome. (laughs) Well, hey, thank you so much for doing that. I think that uh, that's such a great introduction to to anybody who's either in a position like maybe we were a few years ago or who doesn't have a dad who's a wealth management professional. I I mean, I have my degree is in international economics and finance, and I still have no idea what I'm doing if if it wasn't for him. So uh, thanks so much for doing that. Thanks for having me. uh, That was awesome. Right on. Yeah.